What I want to share with you today is something that many Christians never really fully understand. And it's a real shame because it's important. It's vital to understanding the relationship that we're supposed to have with our Lord and with our Master. I remember a movie a few years ago. I can't remember the title of it, but uh, the image came to mind. There's this, this situation where this guy whose life is going along fine, and all of a sudden in one day, he loses his job, he loses his wife, he loses his house. And in fact, there's this scene where he is standing on top of his car, and his car is in the river, and the car is floating down the river, and he's standing on top of his car. And as he's going down the river, he looks up and there's somebody standing on the bank. And the guy standing on the bank looks at him and says, how's it going? And the guy's standing on the car and he says, not so bad. Yeah, I didn't catch it either. I had to rerun that five times before I caught what it was he was saying. He's standing there, lost his house, his car, his wife, his car, river, Guy says, how's it going? And he says, not so bad. I don't know if I've heard anything that's a picture of denial any better than that. Either that or that's a hugely positive outlook and that wasn't where this guy was. There are times when we have to rewind in order to understand And that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to rewind just a little bit. Last Sunday night, as our uh, choir led us in our Christmas celebration, I brought up a couple of ideas that, that, that I'm going to expound upon today. Because some of you were not here, and everybody needs to hear it. And those of you that were here, you were not taking notes. So I want to make sure you get an opportunity to get this down. And also want to give you some good places in Scripture. There Places where you can start, places where you can go. Not necessarily just for you. But when you're, you're trying to help somebody else understand this very, very important concept because it affects the way you live if you don't understand it you'll live very differently than when you do understand it so I want to make sure you've got it and I want to make sure you have it for somebody else and I want to continue to challenge you to live a life of lordship Father God, as we open your word today, may we be open to what your word has to say. May we be open to your spirit's leading. 
And Father, I pray that you will just speak through me. And it's in Jesus' name that we say, we pray. Amen. Babies are something special, are they not? Babies just, they just captivate us. It's, it's something to do with their, their innocence and their, their, their total dependence that just, that just strikes our heart, that gets right, right in there and affects us emotionally. We, we look at their tiny little fingers and, and, and we feel that, that real soft grip as it grabs our pinky and it just melts our heart. You know, you can take a perfectly mature adult and put a baby in front of them and even the most stoic codger is going to turn into this high-pitched, cooing, giggling, silly human as they're trying to get that little baby's attention and just make them smile. And when they do, your heart goes what? It goes, oh. We are hooked on babies. And perhaps that's the reason why Christmas through all the generations has has been a special moment every year. Because Christmas captivates us with the cuteness of a baby. The story of mesmerized shepherds and awestruck wise men and angels and stars, they all add to that special appeal, which is Christmas. Hope is in the air and joy fills our hearts and all seems peaceful on earth as we are charmed by the unfolding of an age-old story that you've heard many times before. Yet, it's become politically incorrect to say Merry Christmas. So now many people just say season's greetings, happy holidays. In fact, even the post office got in on this. I don't know if you've noticed, but over the years, they have started changing the cancellations. And I found this one from a couple years ago that just says, not Merry Christmas, but Happy Hula Days. You guys remember Whoville, don't you? That little town where the Grinch stole Christmas And yet somehow it came anyway because the people were going to be happy that day regardless. And yet the meaning of Christmas is very veiled in that story. It seems that the Grinch really has stolen Christmas and we don't know who the holiday is really about. Sometimes I I fear we are living in Whoville, in a vanilla holiday of good wishes. And Christ has become the, the ghost of Christmas past. And yet it's 
it's right there. It's still in the book. What Christmas is about. And the angel said, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy, which will be to all people today in the city of David. A Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Do you realize that in the announcement of his birth, we are told exactly who Jesus is? The angel who spoke to the shepherds described the significance of him using these three words. Different words. We tend to gravitate towards the one that's the easiest, towards that word Savior, right? We like a good hero story. Tell you what, turn to the person next to you and tell them who is your favorite DC or Marvel Comics superhero. Who is it? Turn turn to them and tell them. Who's your favorite superhero? We got some people in here that like Superman? Okay. We got some people here who like Spider-Man? Do we have some people here that like Wonder Woman? Captain America? Spider-Man? Yeah. Or maybe perhaps you like a good hero story that's a little bit, little bit more down the earth. Maybe, maybe your heroes are the firemen and the policemen. Especially those who are willing at the drop of a hat to enter a building that's been bombed, that's been hit by an airplane in order to try to get lives out and they give up their life in the process. Or maybe your hero story is remembering a specific soldier that you have known in your past who gave their all for our freedom. Or maybe in today's world, it's a teacher who was willing to stand in the gap when there is tragedy active happening at a school and they do everything they can to protect their students. The idea that someone would give up their life for another invokes our most genuine, most heartfelt praise because it it, it just touches us deeply. I think this is the heart of why we love to see Jesus as Savior because he's a hero. He is coming putting his life on the line for us. The word Savior in the Greek comes from, it's the word soter. In Greek, lots of times, nouns actually come from verbs. This is one of those. Where the noun means a deliverer, um, 
uh, a preserver. Uh, in, in the verbal form, it means to heal or to save from physical harm. This would be the kind of word that might be used of a doctor, someone who, who saved someone's life. But, but by extension, it goes into that, that, that saving in a spiritual sense. And you see, Savior, it, it points towards grace. It points towards healing. It points towards the preservation of life. We know Jesus came to save and to heal and to die for our sin. And Jesus, is he's constantly giving of himself, isn't he? Giving the blind sight, giving the lame the ability to walk, bringing a leper back into society, giving the grieving back their daughter, their son, their brother. Jesus gave us forgiveness by dying for us on a Roman cross, paying our sin debt, dying in our place, saving us all from the death that we deserve because we are the ones who rebelled against God. And we adore him for it. We worship him and revere him. Have you ever noticed that Jesus never shied away from worship? You ever stopped to think about that? As an infant, Jesus was worshipped. The, the shepherds came to the manger in awe to see what was there and to be filled with the presence of that child and they worshipped him later the wise man came and bowed before him bringing him valuable gifts and worshipping at the feet of the one they knew was king throughout Christ's life we see him accepting worship from people there's a there's a cleansed leopard in, in Matthew 8. The widow of Nain, whose son he raised from the funeral pyre in Luke 7. A man whose sight was restored in John 9. Even a man who was released from demon possession, Mark 5. That night when, when Jesus walked out on the raging sea, when he got into the boat, things calmed down. Do you know what the disciples did? They worshipped him. They said, truly, you are the son of God. Mary Magdalene, who went and found an empty tomb and was weeping in the garden when she recognized the voice of of her Lord, she turned and grabbed his feet and worshipped him. At the ascension, 
as Jesus was being taken into heaven, he allowed the disciples to worship him. Luke 24. Friend, Jesus was not just a great man. He is God. And he is worthy of our praise. Yet Jesus being Savior is not the emphasis of Scripture. In fact, the more majority of time when the word Savior appears in connection with Jesus, it appears with one or other or both of those other words, Christ and Lord. Now, there are some well-meaning people who see these three words and they, they teach about these three words as being synonyms, that they are, they are similar, which begs the question, are these three words similar? Is Savior a synonym for Christ? Is Christ a synonym for Savior? Well, let's look at the word Christ for a moment. Christos means the anointed one. It is a direct uh, cognate to the Hebrew word Mashiach or Messiah. Okay? It is, comes from the verb creo, which means to consecrate or to anoint. Now, this is not anointing in the medical sense. So even at that, it's a step back from sozo, from Savior. But in this sense, it's the setting apart for an office or for a task. In fact, today we might actually use the word ordained in this connection. Such as when elders and deacons and ministers are set aside and they're prayed over and ordained and are given responsibility to lead people of God. In the Septuagint, the Septuagint is the uh, first translation from the Old Testament Hebrew into a different language, which was Greek, and it was done by 72 uh, Jewish scholars. When they translated the, the Old Testament into Greek, into that language, Cairo the verb there was used for anointing three different groups of people, those that were prophets, priests, and kings. And this describes Christ too. Because Jesus played all three of those roles. Not only while on earth, but even, even now. So Christ or Messiah really doesn't point to a saving ability, what it appoints to is a responsibility, a role that has to be played. In fact, it points to the dominion of the king. So careful study just of these two words shows that Christ is not a synonym for Savior. There, there are two different Aspects. Christ is actually an emphasis on that leadership role of prophet, priest, king of kings. 
In Ephesians 4.15, Paul encourages us. He says this. He says, in all things to grow up in him who is the head that is Christ. Now, we know this metaphor, right? You take a body, you separate the head. What happens to the body? Yeah, we know, right? We know the metaphor. Why is the head important? The idea is that is what is leading. Brain tells the body what to do, right? Thinking tells the body what to do. In other words, it's a metaphor, but we understand very clearly that without our leader, we are what? Dead. Two-syllable word from Georgia, right? We're dead in our sin. Christ has to do with his authority over us, with him being the one that we are following. The prophets spoke to the kings, right? The priests are the ones that were the connection between God and the people of Israel. And king, we know him, right? He's the one in charge. Christ And his authority over us is something that we all too quickly forget about. And we kind of push it to the side. But that really wasn't a fact that was lost on his executioners. Over in Mark 15, as the Jewish leaders are mocking Jesus as he is hanging on that Roman cross, they say this. They say, let this Christ, this king of Israel, come down. Do you see it? The synonym here is Christ and king. And they know that. They're mocking him because they don't believe he is king. Do we mock him in our actions when we forget that he is king? Little did those religious leaders of that day realize that this king is truly the ruler of all. So, Savior and Christ point to two different aspects of who Jesus is. What about that third term, that last one, Lord? Is it like the others or does it mean something different? Well, let's see. Lord is the word kurios in Greek, means owner, ruler, or master. One who has undisputed possession of a person or a thing. I will tell you, if you talk to anybody from Salem Church of Christ, there are a couple of things that they will tell you that I drilled into their head. That is one of them. Undisputed possession. It is a slavery word. It is very much master in a master-slave relationship in English. Okay? 
it is centered on the power to control the life of another. In other words, Lord points to his ownership and our obedience. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like the O word. I don't like it at all. I like Jesus being Savior. In fact, I'm like, go Jesus, save me. That's great. What do you mean I have to obey him? You want to know somebody that knows that I don't like the old word? Just ask my wife. I have a pride problem. God's working on it. I'm working on it. But king of my life, I want to be. But if I crown him king of my life, I have to let him be. Think about it like this. A man buys a saw in order to cut boards because he likes making things. And through time, that saw grows dull and it loses its usefulness. So what does he do? He sharpens it up. It's dull, he sharpens it up. And eventually it reaches a point where it can't be sharpened anymore. What becomes of the saw? Or think about it like this. A woman buys a refrigerator. We bought a house. And when we got into the house, we found out we needed a refrigerator. It was busted. You you guys know that term, don't you? Okay. It was barely on its last legs. Now, that refrigerator served in that house for many, many years. And when something gets busted, what do you do? You repair it, right? Until it reaches a point where it can't be repaired anymore. So what do you think became of that refrigerator? Let me me put it a different way. Farmer goes out and plants fruit trees. And when he plants fruit trees, what's he looking for? He's looking for a harvest of fruit, right? Okay. So he tends to those trees, he builds them up, he does everything that's possible, and they produce fruit after year after year after year. But what happens to that tree that no longer bears good fruit? Uh, Jesus actually told us, he says, every good tree that does not bear good fruit gets cut down and thrown into the fire. If I can figure that out, it's not rocket science, is it? Now look at this. Um, Matthew 7, 19. Just two verses later, he makes the point very clear. He says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is heaven, who, who is in heaven, right? What's he saying? 
You cannot call him Lord if you're not being obedient. Because for him to be Lord, we have to be not just servant, but master, slave. Yes? By the way, Paul tells us we don't have a choice as to whether or not we're a slave. We are either going to be a slave to our flesh, to our earthly desires, to the schemes of the devil, or we are going to be slave to God. We do not have a choice whether or not we are going to be a slave. What we do have a choice of is who are we going to serve. That's our choice. Wouldn't you rather serve someone who is benevolent and looks after your best interest? Yeah. Yeah. There is some self-limitation for momentary time in this world. But I want to tell you the benefits of that are outside of this world. Amen? Lordship demands obedience. And what we do is the only evidence of who or what is our Lord. See, this is, this is where addiction gets to be a really big issue because it's not just a mental, physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. Because when you give yourself over to addiction, what's your Lord? What is it you serve? Now, I'm not making light of people that are caught in that because it can be a very mean taskmaster that can demand everything of you, not just physically, but of your your mind and your pride and your self-esteem and everything. And if you're called in addiction, seek help. It's important. Seek the physical help that you need. Seek the psychological help you need. And seek the spiritual help that you need. To have a benevolent Lord. Jim Morris, a dear man, preacher for well over 50 years of his life, passed away two years ago. Um, I met him when, when we moved to Salem. Uh, he was serving a church that was in the area. And uh, one of the things Jim used to say, and, and, I, and I happen to think he's right. He said, a disciple cannot say no Lord in the same service sentence. A servant does what his master requests. When you feel the presence, you hear the voice of God, you read in scripture, and you know he's calling you to something different, you can't say no Lord. Because if he is Lord, he has undisputed possession of everything you are. Even Jesus told us himself that our hope of heaven is not solely based on him being Savior. It's also based on him being Lord 
of our lives. Which means what we do matters. If Christ is going to come out of the cradle and into our life, we must understand that God does not merely ask for a polite nod on Sundays. You see, he is not just taking up residence, becoming a resident in our life. He is to be president of our life. Now, I want you to think about this. Looking at these three terms. Jesus is called Savior by the writers of the New Testament 19 times. The term comes up about 23, 26 times. I didn't look it up. But all the other times it's there, it's referring directly to God. Okay? So, there's that connection that him being Savior connects him to God. Okay? Is he Savior? Yes. Hands down. Specifically called that 19 times in the New Testament. But he is called Lord... Master 441 times in the New Testament. And he is called Christ, the anointed, the king, 569 times. 441, Lord, which has to do with ownership, authority, right? Possession. Christ anointed king, which has to do with authority of a position to rule or to instruct, right? So when you look at this, the two that are clearly related are Lord and Christ because they're the ones that are emphasizing what? His authority over us. So if he's called Savior 19 times but Master and King, if you add those together, what's it come up to? Those two, 441 and 569. 1,010 times. Over a 1,000 times. I just have to ask you, what's the emphasis of Scripture? Is it on being Savior? Or is it that we are to serve? He's still Savior. But you see, if all we do is we say, he's my buddy, he's my pal, he's my Savior, and I can go do whatever I want to because he's going to save me because that's who he is, you are missing the point of Scripture. Because he is not your Savior if he is not also your Lord and Christ. Because he is, from the beginning, all three, and he cannot be one without the other two. And don't worry. Over the next 10, 15 years, I'll go over this again. Because I forget it. I'm quite 
capable in a moment to bow up and want to put Eric on the throne and forget that he is on the throne. So here's what I'm saying. The emphasis is on his authority and on our submission. But along with that, this is Christmas. Don't want to drag you down too far. And I hope I haven't stepped on your toes so hard that you're mad at me and you're feeling guilty. What I hope I've done is I have challenged you to move toward him and to adore him even more. So here's what I'm saying. It's okay to be charmed by the baby in the manger and to be captivated by the wonder of it all, to feel the joy of the season because the one who created us loves us enough that he's not going to leave us alone and he wants us to come home. And Christmas, man, that's the start of that. It's okay to be charmed. It's okay to get charged up. Yet, we need to see beyond the tradition and be transformed. We must go beyond admiring a child and move to the adoration of our Savior who is also Christ, our Lord. In other words, we have to go from being charmed to being changed. Father God, we thank you for this day and for even the simplicity of the good news of Jesus Christ. And Father, you know there's sometimes we make things more complicated and we want to we want to ask questions and we just we just want to resist. But we thank you, Father, for that indescribable peace that comes when we submit to you. And we recognize your lordship of our lives. We thank you for these moments here, this this time of decision, this time of reflection. And we pray, Father, that your spirit will move among us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.